0: From Washington, D.C., and around the world. This is Government Matters Defense with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Every Wednesday, we focus on defense. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Army will release its new multi domain operations doctrine in the summer of 2022. The Director of Army Futures and Concepts Center, Lieutenant General D. Scott McKean, says the doctrine will describe how the Army will operate across all five domains. Defense News reports the new field manual that comes from the doctrine will include all the domains for the first time. The Defense Department should immerse itself in artificial intelligence, according to the National Security Commission on AI. Commission Vice Chairman Bob Work tells two House subcommittees Adversaries say they will use AI to defeat the U.S. military through systems warfare. FCW reports one of the commission's recommendations is more funding for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency to coordinate offensive and defensive AI capabilities. DARPA has a new leader tonight. Stephanie Tompkins has been a program manager at DARPA, deputy director of the agency's Strategic Technology Office and acting deputy director. C4ISRNet reports she's spent a total of 11 years at DARPA. Air Force pilots could have up to 420,000 reasons to stay in the service. The service is raising the bonuses it's paying to pilots who re up. General Larry Spencer, U.S. Air Force retired, is former vice chief of the Air Force. General, thanks for coming on. It's great to see you again. What do you make of the size and the terms? of the bonuses that the Air Force will offer pilots?
1: Well, I actually think it's a good idea. Uh, You know, when you think of, you know, the the Air Force, uh, and frankly, the country writ large right now is struggling with a pilot shortage. uh, And the Air Force has had this problem off and on uh, over the years. So this is certainly not unusual to offer a bonus. Uh, To use a sports analogy, uh, you know, there are 11 folks on a football team, uh, but there's only one quarterback and, and that quarterback uh, even though you need all 11, uh, a quarterback uh, is paid a little more than a guard, as, as an example. Uh, in the Air Force, you know, pilots uh, are the ones that, you know, they they, they have very specialized skills. Um, they put themselves at risk. Uh, they are very expensive. Uh, they're training. Uh, and so they're the tip of the spear, if you will, uh, when we go into harm's way. So, Uh, to offer bonuses, to keep that valuable skill uh, in the Air Force, I think is is money well spent. And frankly, I think it actually saves money over time because if if those pilots were to separate and you'd have to start the pipeline all over again, you're gonna spend a lot more money. So I think it's a good idea. Uh, and I think the Air Force is on the right track. Is that number knowable,
0: Larry? Is there a, a way to put a, a definitive number on the amount of money that the force saves by keeping somebody in as opposed to having to turn around and feed that funnel again?
1: Yeah, that's a good question and, be, and because there's really not a good answer. They, if you try to apply, which I have tried to do, uh, some analytical rigor to how did they come up with that number versus another number? Uh, and and the, the challenge is we, the government uh, or as a whole and the Air Force in particular can't compete financially uh, with the airlines. They, they just can't pay them the same salary that they would receive if they would separate from the Air Force. And so what they have done is come up with a number that they feel is reasonable, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, but and something they can afford that would be attractive uh, to pilots and their families. Uh, to have them remain in the Air Force uh, rather than separate.
0: One of the things that we've talked about in this conversation before, Larry, is you you pointed out a number of uh, times pilots join the Air Force or join an airline or wherever they go to fly and not to sit. Is that potentially an advantage now as the airlines uh, have been suffering from uh, lack of demand because of the pandemic? Is that an advantage for maybe getting some of these pilots to re-up? If you stay in, you're going to continue to fly
1: yeah, there's no question. Uh, with the pandemic and the uh, reduced uh, flyership on airplanes, the air airline industry overall has been uh, suppressed. Uh, so clearly the demand for pilots right now is is not as high as it was in the past. Uh, the challenge is though, as I mentioned, these things are cyclical. Uh, we will get past the pandemic. In fact, most folks feel like we're on the downward trend of that uh, of ending that now. We're on the other side of the mountain of the of the pandemic. So as, as the Air Force looks ahead, I think they're really doing a smart thing by getting in front of this issue rather than waiting for it to, to overtake it uh, once the pandemic subsides.
0: Beyond the money and the opportunity to fly, are there things that the Air Force has done or maybe you think should do in order to continue to get pilots to stay in?
1: Yeah, the Air Force has worked very hard, as you know, uh, to look at things like additional duties, uh, things that pull pilots away from their their primary uh, job, uh, things that they focus on every day. Uh, so I think the Air Force really is trying their best uh, to make sure that pilots in uh, other critical specialties, if you will, uh, are allowed to focus on that specialty and sort of not get uh, bogged down with uh, sort of the extraneous things. Uh, but the other side of that is uh, a pilot is, al- is also an officer in the Air Force. And so there's some training leadership that they have to develop so they can be prepared for future leadership positions in the future. So I think there's a balance there, uh, Francis, to making sure that pilots are able to devote most of their time to their craft, but at the same time uh, getting the training and experience they need to lead other pilots as they uh, and others in the Air Force as they progress in their careers.
0: To the point about being able to fly, and that's why pilots sign up, one of the uh, the conversations during the readiness discussion that we had over the last five, six years or maybe longer was that pilots were not flying as much as they uh had signed up to or thought they were going to when they signed up do you see that getting better or worse as a result of the readiness discussion as a result of budget discussions and so on is that potentially uh, a challenge for the force moving forward
1: uh i think it is a challenge obviously we're we're all waiting with the new administration to see what the dod budgets will look like going forward um but then, and this is my own view here now. You know, there's, the Air Force has wrestled, I think, over the years with, you know, there are pilots who, who would come forward in the past and say, essentially, I just want to fly. I, I'm not worried about being a squadron commander, group commander, wing commander. I just want to fly. That's what I signed up for. Uh, and that has waxed and waned over the years because, again, over time, you want to groom these pilots not only to be operationally uh, efficient uh, and be the best pilots in the world like they are, but we need them to lead others uh, going forward as they increase in rank. Um, so, so one, I think it, with the increases in budgets recently, uh, readiness in particular, I think that has helped pilots get more flying hours, more flying time, more stick time, if you will. I do think though, going forward, it remains to be seen uh, if, if future budgets will, will detract from that.
0: About 30 seconds left, Larry, is the retention number the only number that matters or are there other measures to pay attention to?
1: No, retention is always important, but it's the quality of the pilot, obviously. It's quality of all the airmen. Uh, So we want airmen to stay, but we want only the best airmen to stay. And so I think it's also not only retention, uh, but the quality of the pilots as well.
0: General Spencer, thanks very much. It's always great to have you back. Uh, Thank you so much for having me can read more about the bonuses at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, the shrinking defense industrial base. Straight ahead on Government Matters, where the contractors are going and what it means for the supply chain. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The House Armed Services Committee has a new task force focused on reviewing the defense supply chain. The number of prime vendors is, off, is high by 36 percent. Travis Tritton is a senior reporter at Bloomberg Government where he's writing about the defense industrial base along with his colleague Paul Murphy. Travis, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Number of reasons that are going into why the number of prime contractors is declining over the last decade. What are, are the most severe ones that you and your colleagues found?
2: right yeah we've seen kind of the stunning drop in the number of prime uh, vendors as you said 36 percent and there are a couple of different factors that we looked at that actually feed into each other and the first one is is uh, mergers and acquisitions especially uh, among larger defense companies Uh, you see a lot of uh, companies joining together or buying up uh, other companies and that feeds into another issue which is these smaller companies have a harder time uh, to break into the business when you have these larger, more dominant companies there.
0: The numbers that you found were fascinating to me, Travis, because of all of the work that the Pentagon has done across administrations of both parties over the last decade or longer – to try to bring companies into the defense industrial base who haven't traditionally done business. DIU, there are individual efforts within the services. Um, Mm -hmm. OTAs, a a lot of buzz around OTAs as a vehicle to do that. And yet the numbers that you demonstrate here indicate those efforts aren't working at least as well as the department would like. Is that a fair observation?
2: Absolutely. I think that's uh, totally fair. And I I think that this This is uh, an alarm bell for the Department of Defense. Um, Some of these efforts may not be working as well as they had hoped, you know, but we've seen all kinds of efforts to try to bring these companies in, uh, especially uh, mid-sized and smaller uh, technology companies. You saw Ellen Lord, the last acquisition chief at the Pentagon. She had programs like uh, the Trusted Capital Marketplace trying to match these venture capitalists with uh, these smaller companies that were, were having these types of issues. Um, but yet, over the decade, uh, we see that this trend is is pretty clear. This consolidation of of the industrial base, especially at the at the upper tiers.
0: During the Obama administration, there was a discussion at the top of the De- uh, Department of Defense about whether and and to what degree the department should at least give endorsement or, or or if not approval to mergers and acquisitions. Any talk that you're hearing about reviving some kind of discussion like that?
2: Um, I'm not hearing any talk at this time. Um, that may be something that needs to be looked at again. Um, we've seen a series of high-profile uh, mergers and acquisitions um, this year. We'll see um, Lockheed Martin plans to acquire Aerojet Rocketdyne, which uh, makes uh, you know rocket engines and missiles, so that it's going to be a competitor, um, you know, with some of the other large defense companies. Um, this maybe just something that they have to address. I, I think that there's going to be it's going to be very hard for them to do that, though.
0: The quote that you write about that I find the most disturbing is this: the supply chain is weak, and we have to take a hard look at that. That's not an observer. That's the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General John Hyten. That's pretty disturbing. The mm-hmm. task force that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation is going to take a look at that. What do you expect to see that task force examine, Travis?
2: right yeah heightened did not mince his words there it was uh, it was very stark um so the house armed services committee has created this eight member task force and they're going to spend three months uh looking at the defense industrial base um primarily they're going to be looking at overseas supply chains um that have been stressed out uh, under the pandemic um but the hope is is that they're going to start looking at some of these more domestic issues the dem- uh the domestic Uh, defense industrial base and the the problems of these smaller companies uh, being locked out we're going to have to wait to see Uh, whatever they come up with could have a very good chance of being added into the house's version of the annual defense authorization bill Um, so if they do come up with something and they find that they have a solution uh, there's a good legislative chance of it getting through this year
0: the pandemic is a separate issue it strikes me or maybe it's not and and you can correct me if i'm wrong but it strikes me the pandemic has created supply chain issues for the department. We've talked about those on this program. You've covered them in your coverage. But I I, I guess now that I'm kind of thinking on the fly, Travis, are those challenges separate than what you're talking about, about consolidation? Or is maybe the health of an individual company potentially impacted by the pandemic, what causes it to maybe go to market and decide it wants to be acquired by somebody else?
2: Right, yeah. Well, I believe that these are... Uh, separate but connected issues and obviously the pandemic is the most urgent pressing issue at the moment but these trends that we were looking at have occurred over the last decade these are long-term trends that um, are much bigger than the pandemic itself so I, I think that the pandemic needs to be dealt with but These other systemic issues are going to probably need other solutions and solutions that that outlive the pandemic.
0: Um, You uh, get at uh, something here at the very close of this piece that I think is also important, Travis, and that is uh, the Trump administration took a lot of heat and rightfully so for uh, the speed at which or lack of speed uh, at which it put nominees into place for some of these important positions in the department and you and paul point out at the end of this piece we still don't have a nominee for any of the top acquisition jobs inside the department of defense what's the potential impact there as the department looks at the supply chain itself
2: Right. Well, we do have a uh, uh, Kathleen Hicks in as a Deputy Defense Secretary, so she's going to have some purview over these types of issues. But primarily, you want to see an acquisition chief in there, someone like um, you know an Ellen Lord, who can work directly with these issues, um, come up with their own solutions uh, for the Biden administration to try to address this. And um, the administration so far just hasn't named these people, and they're starting to there's starting to be some pressure around that. People wondering what is taking so long. Um, And can we get some nominees out there? But so far, we just haven't seen that.
0: Travis, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. You can find a link to that piece at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, the F-35 program gets an important thumbs down straight ahead on Government Matters, tracking the troubles facing one of the most expensive aircraft programs ever. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of the show, it's on govmatters.tv. Welcome back. The F-35 program will get a closer look from the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee in this Congress. Congressman Adam Smith calls the program, quote, failure on a massive freaking scale. Valerie Encina is air warfare reporter for Defense News. Val, thanks for coming back on the program. I, it, I guess we shouldn't be surprised... At the tone that Congressman Smith takes, the chairman is prone to using colorful language, but it's kind of a shift from what he said a couple of years ago. What is it that's concerning him particularly about the F-35 valve?
3: Well, I think what's new here is that the Air Force has actually come out and they're saying, you know, we're studying our tactical aircraft mix. We want to look and see whether you know, we're buying the right number of F-35s or if this is something that we need to scale back. So I think with the Air Force out in front saying this, that sort of, you know, brings up some questions to uh, Congressman Smith. And so now, you know, he sort of jumped on the bandwagon, you know, raising some concerns about the cost of the aircraft, a continued problem that we've talked about a lot. And so um, he's kind of emerged, if the Air Force is going to downsize this by, he's emerged as maybe someone who would be a champion in Congress for doing that.
0: Is the discussion that the Air Force is undertaking part of this broader look at all of its platforms or is it thinking about a next generation aircraft in and of itself, Val?
3: it's a very broad look um, at its tactical aircraft mix so you know it's going to be looking at things like how do we replace the f-16 um that was something that was supposed to be replaced by the f-35 but now the air force is looking at other options maybe buying new f-16s maybe buying a new aircraft altogether it's going to be looking at the Next Generation Air Dominance Program, which is the sixth generation fighter, it's going to be looking at, okay, so how many F-15EXs is the right number to buy? And then F-35 on top of it. So it's sort of a broad look inside of that tactical aircraft portfolio.
0: Does that portfolio review sound like though, from the documents that you've reviewed, sound like a holistic review? Like the Air Force is looking end to end? Or is it looking at individual platforms?
3: Kind of both, both at the same time, and it's something that they are also um, in uh, conversation with uh, the the Defense Department, the uh, Office of the Secretary of Defense, and the the Cape Office, which you know t- very uh, scrutinizes um, programs very closely to make sure that they're abiding by cost. So. Um, this is like a broad kind of holistic look at what should that mix look like, but it is something that is going to come up with findings that will look at each platform and target certain platforms um, individually.
0: The F-35 program gets a lot of the attention, Val, whenever anything happens with it because of the amount of money that's consumed and the problems that it's had over the years. But you've written about a number of other platforms in the last uh, a few days. You've written about the E-7, the B-52, the KC-46, the F-15EX, which of these should people be paying attention to in addition to the F-35 program? Which of these are our highest profile for the Air Force right now?
3: Well, I think that the KC-46 is definitely one that's going to receive some scrutiny going forward as it has, you know, over the past couple of years. The Air Force is showing some confidence in the program and that they wanna uh, do some limited operations with it. So now the question will be like, you know, can Boeing keep up the momentum and fixing the problems on that program? And does the does the aircraft perf- uh, perform well enough in operations that the Air Force grain- gains even greater confidence? So that's one thing that I would look at. And the other thing um, I would say, the Wedgetail conversation is very interesting. It's a program, uh, that is not, you know, not something the aircraft, uh, the Air Force is buying right now, but it's something that I've heard the Air Force has been interested in for years, and now we've gotten a lot of uh, major command uh, commanders coming out and saying, you know, we would really like to buy this. So it's something that I would definitely think could be in the next budget.
0: You write uh, about the KC forty six tanker um, with this headline: "The tanker's most infamous problem isn't the one that impacts pilots the most." What's going on there?
3: So this was very interesting. Uh, a bunch of journalists. We got to go out to Joint Base Andrews a couple of weeks ago and talk to you know pilots, aircrew, boom operators that um, fly that aircraft every day. And one thing that we heard from the pilots is that there are some pro- problems with this system. It's called OBIGS. And what it basically does is it provides lightning protection um, and protection so that um, if the fuel tanks are hit, it, uh, they don't ignite. Um, so very important system. But um, right now they cannot take off unless the OBIGS system has is at completely 100%. So that can sometimes take hours, and that's not something that operators are used to having to stand by and wait to happen. So um, that's something that the Air Force is looking at. It's not one of the top-ranked pro- problems, but it's definitely something that Boeing has to fix and that we're going to be keeping an eye on going forward.
0: 30 seconds left, Val. Is this a software system, or is this a mechanical system that this plane is struggling with?
3: It's a mechanical system. It, it basically pumps in uh, nitrogen uh, to replace some of the oxygen in the fuel tanks. Um, so it's, it's something that you would find on most commercial aircraft.
0: Val, wow, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you back.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: You can find a link to her work at govmatters.tv resources. And don't forget, if you miss an episode of the program, it's on our website too. You get a preview of every show when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at eight and eleven on WJLA twenty four seven News, and Sunday mornings at ten thirty on ABC seven to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Cherise Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon.